Well, good morning again, Parkview East. So good to be with you today. You are notorious for your greeting times, whether you realize that or not. I, I'm told that it's very difficult to move out of greeting time into sermon time, and I'm experiencing that now, but that's okay. That means you love one another and are glad to talk to one another, so that's great. Good job with that. In honor of Mother's Day, let me read to you a poem written by May Patterson. At the dawn of time, God needed someone he could trust to love his precious children. And so he made a mother. God said, life will often be harsh. I need someone with a gentle touch. Someone who can brush a tear from a downy cheek of a newborn and gauge a child's temperature without the aid of a thermometer. I need someone who has a special knack for soothing, who can kiss away pain and soften blows. Someone who can hold her child's hand firmly until she has to release it tearfully on the first day of school. And so God made a mother. I need someone who will care enough to gather daffodils and put them in a vase and so everyone can in, in the house can enjoy the first blooms of spring. Someone who will care enough to rummage through the mismatched sock pile in hopes of finding a match. Someone who will make birthdays extra special, sing silly songs with their toddlers in the car, who, will, who actually wants to go on a school field trip to the insect museum just to be close to her child. God thought I need someone who will play Christmas carols on the piano, someone who will decorate gingerbread houses in the, uh, with the kids and wrap gifts and deck the halls for Christmas. For nothing in all my creation will be able to make Christmas as special as a mother will. So God made a mother. I will make someone who will gather a chaotic, busy family around a dinner table for chicken soup, cornbread, and sharing life together. Someone who will organize playdates, piano lessons, and, and the pantry. I need someone who can find the lost football cleat, dad's keys, or bun-bun, her little girl's favorite stuffed bunny. I need someone who can unload the dishwasher, pack lunches, call out spelling words, make coffee while bouncing a baby on her hip. Someone who will carry an amazing array of toys, snacks, and essentials in her heavy purse and never complain. I need someone to help with endless school projects, organize the football banquet, and say, I'm so proud of you, even when her child fails. It must be someone who is willing to keep going even when she thinks she has no strength left. Someone who will strive to love her kids and love, her, uh, love their father even more. I need someone who's willing to work the second shift or take the second best or play second fiddle so her family will have it better than she did. So God made a mother. I need someone who believes, someone who, who will trust that I have a good plan for her and her children even when she can't see it. Someone who will pray for her family daily, for sadly, few people will. I need someone who will share my words and encourage her children to believe in me because I am the source of life. God said, I'll place a second pair of eyes in the back of a mother's head. Give her bionic ears and grant her a generous portion of laughter and tears for she will need them. Sometimes she'll feel like she doesn't have what it takes 
There will be days when she's overcome with worry and pain or, or failure. But when the need arises, she'll be there. While motherhood will be difficult, she'll come to embrace it with all of her heart. Yes, that's exactly what I need. To put it simply, I need someone who will love my children like, well, kind of like I do, God laughed. So I'll give each mother a heart the size of Texas, and if she'll let me, I'll fill it with my special forever kind of love, a love that resembles my own. Once I put a precious baby in her arms, she'll never be the same. One day her children will grow up and move on, but she never will. As long as she lives, she will fight for her children, pray for them, and sacrifice them for them. For and so God made a mother. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that we can gather like this today. And Father, we thank you for <clears throat> your design for the family and for your design for motherhood. And Lord, we uh, maybe are drawn to different places in each of our minds as to whether we're gra uh, grateful or maybe this is a painful day for one reason or another, a mother no longer with us or maybe one who didn't take her role seriously or, or maybe an ability to be a mother or a loss of a child. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you would minister to each heart here and Father, we thank you for those who are faithful to honor you as they served in the role of mother. Would you bless them and would you be with them? And Father, thank you for the impact that they have in our lives. We commit this time to you and God, we ask you to be exalted and be with Pastor Doug as he preaches at Central today. And Lord, may your spirit move and work there and here as well. And across the city where the gospel is proclaimed, would you work in a mighty way for your glory and for your honor in Jesus' name. Amen. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors of Parkview, and I'm pleased to be here with you today. And if we haven't met, I look forward to doing that. It's an honor when I get to come over here. You know, Doug doesn't let me do it very often. He really likes you guys, so um, I have to arm wrestle him for it every now and then, but I have to have help because he's strong. But anyway, I'm so glad to be here with you. Today is our third Sunday in a four-week series. Parkview's vision as a church is to have whole disciples or whole church making whole disciples for the good of all people and the glory of God. So within that, we have a fundamental definition of what a disciple is. A whole disciple is a forgiven child of God who is taking the next step to learn Jesus, love Jesus, and live Jesus. Two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Doug took you to Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2, where it says, Be therefore imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. We started here just to say we have to define who a disciple is, and that's a forgiven child of God. And that's the work of Christ. He accomplishes this for us. We receive it by grace. The second part of our whole disciple definition is, is what a disciple does. So, so it's first what a disciple is, a forgiven child of God, and then it's what a whole disciple does. That's to learn Jesus, love Jesus, and live Jesus. Again, we must not place uh, emphasis on the doing before the being. That is very dangerous because we could then allow ourselves to believe that we are a disciple based upon our own merit because of what we have done or are doing. 
being comes before doing. Last week, Pastor Doug took you through the second part of that uh, definition of, of being, or of the loving Jesus. To, to love Jesus passionately above all else. To repent with a humble heart. And to love God's people. A distinguishing mark of being a, a Christian is love. A disciple loves God and loves others. This week, I'm going to focus us in on the, on the third of the three, which is living Jesus. We will see the three traits of a whole disciple who lives Jesus. Trait one, pursues the Spirit's leading prayerfully. Trait two, stewards all of life for God's glory. And trait three, invites others to take the next step toward Jesus. Our text today will be 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, so I encourage you to be there and to be ready. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting in verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work and faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and had been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our very selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor, labor and toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. 
you are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless our conduct toward you, believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. It is our hope and prayer that this series will be inspiring to you in your personal faith. As believers in Jesus Christ, as people who seek the Holy Spirit's direction in our lives, we must embrace the truth that we as disciples are never done learning and growing. It is my strong conviction that believers in Christ who are not growing in their faith are often very frustrated and even disappointed. Maybe you have been or maybe you're now in a place where you wonder why some people can be so enthusiastic about their faith. You're just drawn to question it. You're going, what is the deal? Or you ask things like, why do people give so much of their time to serve other people? Why would they do that? What's wrong with them? Or, or why, why can somebody get so excited about the scripture that they had read that, that morning, that they're telling people all about it? Why or how could people give so generously and be so joyful about it? Aren't they in the midst of sacrifice? Doesn't this cost them something? How can they be so generous and joyful? How could people continue to share about their faith in Christ even when they're rejected or mocked? How could people spend so much time in prayer and be so passionate about it? Understand, folks, that living Jesus is a natural outflow of learning Jesus and loving Jesus. The more we know about the Lord and his word, the more we love the Lord. And that love for Jesus then drives us to live for Jesus. You see, that first trait pursues the Spirit's leading prayerfully. Look with me again at 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before God and our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction." So this we, Paul, Silvernus, and, and Timothy, it's actually uh, the Roman name for, uh, for Silas is Silvanus. So it's Paul, Silas, and Timothy that are addressing the church in Thessalonica. It's primarily Paul. We see that in, as, in some of that as it continues. But notice they're thanking God for them. They're, they're always doing it. They're constantly lifting them up in prayer. And there's an indication here of work that has already been accomplished by God. They are giving thanks and credit to God. They're giving thanks and credit to God for the work of faith, for labor of love, for hope in the Lord. 
Why? Look at verse 4 again. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only with words, but also with power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Why are they giving that thanks? It's for what the Lord has done. You are loved by God. He chose you. The gospel came to you in word. But not just that, it came to you in power with the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So understand here that that all the good that has happened in the midst was God's doing. They understood that. Paul, Silas, and Timothy are acknowledging that what God has done, they're giving credit where credit is due. They understood the Holy Spirit had been their guide and had empowered them to be used in the process of bringing these people to faith and having them grow in their faith. Spirits leading. Several years back, we had a a missionary sharing in our church in Illinois. And in the, in the course of that, that morning, this stirred a, a man's heart tremendously. And that man came and he, he grabbed a couple of us pastors and he says, I gotta talk to you guys. And we listened to him and he said, I, I feel like the Spirit of God told me something and I need to respond to it if it's right. So we heard him out some more and he said, I really believe that God told me in the middle of the service that I need to buy this missionary and his wife a vehicle. I don't know why, but I feel like the Spirit of God has has prompted me that way. And I pray and I ask for his direction. I feel like he gave me that direction, but I don't know what to do with it. We decided to pull the missionary and his wife into uh, the side along with this man. And we just... uh, turned to them and said, you know, this gentleman here is feeling like the Spirit of God is is speaking to him, that that you guys might be in need of a vehicle. This missionary and his wife turned to each other and smiled. Their eyes got wide and a tear began to roll down this woman's cheek. And they said, our mechanic just called us yesterday and told us there's no hope for our vehicle. The engine was shot. That next day when the dealerships opened, that man went and bought them a vehicle. The Spirit of God working and moving. It's this idea of, I'm going to pray that the Spirit leads me to do what I need to do today. And here, Paul's giving credit to God for what he had been doing while he was prompting them to work. First trait, pursues the Spirit's leading prayerfully. Second trait, stewards all of life for God's glory. Look with me now at 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 7. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also of our own selves because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. Note the imagery used here to communicate how they were with them. Gentle, like a nursing mother. It even says later on in that passage in verse 11, he was like a 
a father with a child. They're affectionately desirous of you. Which led to them being ready to share with them not only the gospel of God. Do you realize that if you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, that you are to be a good steward of that glorious and magnificent truth? Of that reality. You have in your possession the greatest truth that any man, woman, or child could ever know. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that God in his mercy sent his son to take on flesh. To dwell in the midst of mankind. To live without sin. To die on the cross for them. Taking the wrath of that sin from God upon himself. To the grave. And to rise again in victory and invite us to be children of his through faith. How are you stewarding the gospel? Are you a person that knows the good news of Jesus Christ and, and you just accept that and you go, yeah, good, I'm going to heaven, My, I'm, I'm ready to go, it's all lined up. Or are you a person that recognizes the beauty of it and says, I've got to share it. I've got to live it out in some way. Note that they said we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, also our very selves. It's this idea of whatever's needed. Whatever was needed for the ministry, whatever was needed for the gospel to advance, we're ready to do it. Why? Because you had become so very dear to us. I want you to think about something. Love is inefficient. Do you realize that? A pastor friend, a friend of mine stated that recently, and I couldn't believe how powerful that was. Do you realize how inefficient love is? And not the emotion, right? The emotion, maybe that, that teenage emotion when, you know, he thinks she's cute or, or vice versa, and they get all warm and fuzzy, and, you know, that, that comes free. There's no cost in that. But to genuinely love someone, to care for them, real love, costly love. Jesus said in John 15, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That is inefficiency. To die for someone? To share the gospel with you and our very lives. Is that our labor and toil, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Occasionally, God has blessed me with a close-up view of what this could look like. I remember one day making a visit to one of the nursing homes in the area, and I was visiting a couple of the members of our, our church that were in there. But as I made my way down the hallway, I noticed in one of the rooms a woman who was a member of our church, and she was sitting there talking to someone. I thought that was interesting because I didn't know of any of our church people in there, but I, I went down, and, and later on, that same woman who was working her way through, she came to the room where I was talking with someone. So we talked with this individual for a while and prayed and walked out in the hall, and I just said, hey, who, is that somebody else from our church? Who was, who was in that room you were visiting? 
She got real quiet and didn't really want to answer. So I pressed her a little bit more, and, and she said, well, you know, Mark, um, I decided one day, day that God wanted me to, to love more people. And so I went to the, the nurse's counter, and I said, who here has nobody that will ever visit them? Who here has no family, no friends? Who here is alone on Mother's Day or on Christmas or whatever? And this woman was working her way through those people. And she would go and bring them flowers on their birthday. She would call them by name and sit and listen to them. And it didn't matter how they responded to her or how they treated her. This was the idea of, I'm here to give you of my very self. Highly inefficient. But incredibly beautiful. There are many amongst us as fellow believers within our churches and in areas who are stealthy givers, who are blessing people in ways that, that are amazing, but they don't know where it comes from, so glory has to go to God. You see, as believers, all that you are and all that you have is the Lord's. First trait, pursues the Spirit's leading prayerfully. Second trait, stewards all of life for God's glory. Third trait, invites others to take the next step towards Jesus. Look with me back in the first chapter in verse six again. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you might become or so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and in Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Paul and Silas and Timothy uh, clearly had invited these Thessalonians to follow Jesus, and we read that they also now were guiding others to do the same. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, so that you became an example to other believers in other places. I would suggest that there's two parts of this, of this trait of inviting others to take the next step toward Jesus. There's the initial sharing of the gospel. That's certainly inviting people to take a step toward Jesus, isn't it? But there's also encouraging believers to take this next step in their faith. And that seems to be identified here. Notice it says, you became examples to other believers. When I have discussions with believers about the ways that they're sharing their faith or the way that they're serving. I always enjoy hearing that, how God inspires them and how much joy they have in doing that. I will almost always follow that discussion with a question. And the question is, who are you bringing along with you to do this? Who are you training up? Who is behind you? You see, even as we look at the, the life and ministry of Jesus, the discipleship idea is sort of this, okay, why don't you start out by watching me? You can pray for me over here, but watch what I do. And then it's come and do this with me. Let's minister together. And then it's, hey, you do it, and I'm going to pray for you. 
And when that works, it's who are you going to invite to follow behind you? Disciples who make disciples. Inviting others to take the next step of their faith and to come along with you. Do you realize that a good thing becomes a bad thing in this quite often? Do you know that humility can be a roadblock to disciples making disciples? So often I find that people in churches are doing ministry behind the scenes and they'll never wave a flag. They'll never go, hey, I'm doing all this, I'm doing all that. And as a result, they're not even, it's not known and they're not pulling other people along. But sometimes you have to get past that and say, are you involved in anything? Would you consider doing this with me? And it's not a pride thing. It's just, understand, it's best when it's born from relationship. There's an appreciation for someone else, and it's like, you know, if you have time, would you serve with me in this way? Faithfulness encourages growth. So there's the initial sharing of the gospel as well, inviting unbelievers to take the next step. Look with me again at chapter 2 there, verse 2. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as, you have, as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts." There's this boldness to declare to you the gospel with pure motives, not to please man, but to please God. From time to time, I think a Christian's enthusiasm to share one's faith, if they're really zealous about it, can cause the recipient to think that the person might only be doing it so they can achieve some status before God. Sort of this, they're only sharing with me because they want to earn God's love. Or they're only sharing with me to get points with God. Therefore, it is maybe received as selfish rather than selfless. It's important to be pure in motive and genuine in our spirits. We must first remember our own source of salvation. We must remember what we are, forgiven children of God. It's that that is part, right? I'm a forgiven child of God. As a result, I take the next steps, right? Jesus paid it all. As Christians, our ticket has been punched to heaven, if you will, right? It's already set. So we serve and we share out of love, first for our Lord and second for the people around us. Our heart needs to be right. And I think people can see when our hearts are right. Notice it said in verse 9, our labor and toil not to be a burden to you while we proclaim the gospel to you. Stewarding the gospel of Jesus requires effort on our part. It does. But we do it out of love and a desire to have there be no reason for people to doubt our motives. As I wind down, can, we, can I just ask you a question? I want you to think about your own life now for a minute. Who has God used in your life along the way to bring you to where you are now in Christ? Was well, there someone who's faithfully cultivated the ground, so to speak, in your life, who was consistent, who was loving, who, who 
was just kind to you? Was there someone that was just a good example of what godliness looks like and they were so faithful, they were so committed to, their, to the word and so consistent in church and, and their behavior was the same during the week? Was it someone who was consistent in their care for you? Was it, the, was it those individuals that actually shared the good news, that actually told you about Jesus, told you the way of salvation? Who, who was that individual? The ones who taught you the Bible after that and, and opened the scriptures with you and encouraged you to memorize and helped you know the things you needed to know and answered your questions. Maybe it was the one who hung in there with you when you fell off the rails and were not walking with Jesus. Who loved you back to the cross. I hope that as I've gone through that list that, I, that you have someone in your life who has done that for you. And as you consider them, I hope that you are grateful to God for them. Isaiah 52 says, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Seems like a, a strange time to talk about Christmas, but I don't know about you, but I enjoy Christmas lights. I do not enjoy putting them on the house. And it seems that over the years, I always waited till it was extra cold or frozen or the weather was bad to get up on the roof and do those. I didn't take the good weather days. And I'm grateful for my sons as they've gotten older, they've kind of taken that over. But you know, as you go up and you, if you at least if you do it the way we do, which is on the cheap, you, you put a section of lights up and then you plug that next section in and that section lights up, hopefully. <laughs> and then you go to the end and you plug that next section in and hopefully that lights up. The Bible says in Matthew 5, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. How sad would it be if that line of people that, that led to you coming to the point of salvation, people who were faithful, people who were kind, people who would share, people who would pray, people who would just be there for you when you needed it. How sad when that chain of light breaks because we just take it to ourselves and we go, I'm good now. And we don't think about who else down the line needs to be plugged into the light of Jesus Christ. And the light stops because we choose to be selfish with the good news of Jesus Christ. Folks, our faith comes alive when we begin to live Jesus. It all just builds and builds, and it's beautiful. If you're here today and you know Jesus because someone else was faithful, can you then do that? For somebody else. Share that good news.